0: Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. Last last Wednesday night uh, was possibly one of my favorite things I've ever taught at a B2B about the supremacy of God, that our God is above all things. He is, there's none like him. He is is awesome in power and majesty, and he is awesome in creation, awesome in our lives, awesome in the redemption of Christ. There's so much that he is great in. And uh, this next teaching goes hand in hand with what we taught last week. We taught about the supremacy of God. Well, this week we're teaching about the sovereignty of God. Um, A.W. Pink in his book um, The Attributes of God that's kind of what we're using as our guideline in it he defines God's sovereignty as the exercise of his supremacy. So we know God is supreme and God has supremacy over all things. Well in exercising his supremacy what we see is his sovereignty. So That's how he exercises that he is supreme through the sovereignty uh, that he has over all things. I want to go ahead and take you straight to the word. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. uh, One that you guys have heard me talk about probably a million times. You may have this memorized already. Uh, Isaiah 46.10 Isaiah 46 10. This is just kind of a quick hit, and we're going to get deeper in the word than this, but I want to start here because I think it's it's uh it's it's key to the discussion. It says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my Purpose. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your Word that it is infallible, inerrant, and it stands the test of time. God, that we don't have to question the validity of any word written in this in this Bible because you have inspired all of the writers. God, we know that this is how you have spoken to us, and we are listening. God, we ask that you would remove the veil that we may see you clearly revealed in these scriptures that we will discuss tonight. God. We thank you so much that we have access to it so that we can know who you are. God, I would ask that you would illuminate this for us, that we may see it clearly, that we may retain it, and that we may use it. We thank you so much for your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I want to get started with something kind of different that I don't think I've done as much with this book. Um, Not had quite as many quotes, but I, I wanted to read you kind of a longer quote because what he does, what Pink did in this book, is he quoted Charles Haddon Spurgeon from a message that he preached on the sovereignty of God, and that's how he introduces this chapter. This is what he wrote, and he's quoting Spurgeon here saying, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands. The throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings. I like that word, worldlings. No truth of which they have such a football as great, stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah. (laughs) Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Think about that. (laughs) They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be in his almonery to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of every moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. And we proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well, without consulting them in the matter, then it is that we are hissed and execrated. That means shunned basically. And then it is then then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us, for God on his throne is not the God they love, but it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon the throne whom we trust. Now, I thought that was a really really good set of of words from from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, my favorite And he makes great points here, which is absolutely no surprise since he's the prince of preachers. The man knew how to preach. But what he's saying here, the things that he's saying, sit back, look. Is it not true? The God that the world hates is the God who's seated on the throne. The God who has rule over this world the God who does have standards with which he wants us to live by. And when we preach that God, that is when we receive the most opposition. But that is the God that we preach. (coughs) Faithful men all over this world, 350,000 Christians currently under persecution across this world. No, 350 million. That's what I was about to say. 350 million yeah. Christians across this world currently persecuted because they preach a God on the throne. You get up and you preach a God who's not on the throne. We A God who... We love to get his blessings, a God who, yeah, he, he's awesome, he created us, so he's, he's a good God, a God who we take off his throne so that we can get on that throne. You preach that, God, and you fill churches. I'll say this, and I think our elders would agree since they're all here. We'll have a small church. We'll not preach that God because that's not a real God. <clears throat> I'm not going to preach me and I'm not going to preach you. I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified. Amen. You see, but the point he makes at the very end I think is the most important about the sovereignty of God. The God who is on the throne, the God who is sovereign, the God who is in control is the God we can trust we can trust in that God. Absolutely, without doubt, without any failing at all, we can trust in that God. Because any other God is my God that I've made. And I can't trust myself. So I surely can't make a deity that I've created in my own head. But the God on the throne, the God of the Bible, is a God I can trust. I wanted to take you to a place in Psalms that I think kind of makes it uh, makes it really clear for us about supremacy and sovereignty going hand in hand. Psalm 135. I'm going to read verse 5 first cuz this speaks on on supremacy, on the on how supreme God is. It says this, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. So here we see the supremacy of God. And we talked about him last week that there is no God above our God. There is nothing higher than our God. There is no idea that we could come up with, no thought that we could ever have. No man can attain anything even close to our God. Look what happened with Satan. Satan said, I will be like the most high God. And what happened? No, you won't. And he cast him out, right? So we have a supreme God who cannot be challenged for his throne, for his throne is set for eternity. Well, what does it say next? In verse six, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps. He does whatever he wills in all places. It says so right here. It says, he does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. That's the depths of the earth. That's the depths of the sea. So is there any other place you can think of besides that? The heavens, the earth, and the sea, and even deep in the deeps. Can you think of any other place besides that? No other place exists besides that. So God has sovereignty in all creation. And make no mistake, He didn't exist in this universe and decide to make an earth out of already existing matter. He made all things from nothing. That's creation ex nihilo. Creation from nothing. What existed before the beginning? Nothing. Except God. Exactly. Not a thing. Let me ask you this. Did time exist before the beginning? No, because he created that. Did light exist before God? No. There was nothing before him. It was only him. And then he, in his sovereign will, created all things. He does whatever He wills in all places. He is in control. You will see that fought against quite a bit in the modern church. They'll say, no, God's not in control. Who was, I don't remember where we saw it, but somebody said that God needs man's permission to do anything on this earth. And I thought to myself, that's a very, heretical statement that is a very interesting concept that has no basis in scripture must be thinking because of our free will
1: yeah (laughs) possibly
0: but that doesn't mean he's not in control of everything he is in control of all things and we will cover that conditionalness in his will but here's the thing he is on the throne with all authority how do we know that because christ said as he ascended, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, sovereignty is the most challenged attribute of all of God. It's the one that people want to argue about the most. But if God's sovereign, why, why is there evil in the world? People want to be in control. They don't want a sovereign God. People don't want a sovereign God. And Pink saw this in his day as well. And he actually confronted their main argument in his book on page 33. He said this. They say that to press the sovereignty of God excludes human responsibility. So they're saying if we say God's sovereign, then that means it, it it makes human responsibility not a thing. Whereas, human responsibility is based upon divine sovereignty and is the product of it. You see, there is no human responsibility if God is not sovereign. And I'm going to prove that to you as we go through this scripture. Scripture. You see, God chose in his absolute sovereignty to create some things with what, we can, what we're going to call and what Pink uses, and I think it's really good, really good phrasing, something I've never even thought of. He chose to create some things with conditional standing, conditional standing, I means not sure, but based on conditions. How can we see that? Well, we see that is clear with Satan and his angels. They had the ability to turn against God to try and overthrow, basically. And they tried. But did a sovereign God absolve them from their responsibility because he knew that that was going to happen? No. Were they still responsible? Absolutely. So what happens? To get cast out. We see it also that God made man on conditional standing. Adam could sin. And he did sin. And he bore all the responsibility for his sin. Just as we bear the responsibility for our sin. We also see conditional standing later in the people of Israel, right? God gave them laws. He required certain things for them to be right with Him. Jesse and Jolene are teaching that to our kids in Sunday school, the the, the Ten Commandments. He required these things, and they constantly broke the law. So what would God do? He would send punishment. So right standing with him was conditional upon their proper behavior, right? They had to behave properly in order to have standing, the right standing with God. It may seem strange and wrong to us that that a God like ours who is supreme would choose to do it this way. We who sit on our... uh, intelligence here on earth may think well if i was god i wouldn't have done it that way and you know you probably wouldn't because you're not the supreme being that god is right what we need to understand is that god does not need man's stamp of approval for his will he doesn't need man to approve how he does things for him to do those things. He has chosen the way he does things just as the first thing we showed. He he takes his own counsel. He accomplishes his purpose. Like like it says in the New Testament, he he does all things according to the counsel of what? What What man thinks is a good idea? Nope. According to the counsel of his own will. That's what he does. And... He does it and it is right simply because He has done it. And that's the explanation we need on it. And we don't need any other explanation. Why is it right that God does things the way He does in this world? Well, because He's God and this is His world and He created it in the way He chose to create it and whether we think it's a good idea or not, it's right because that's the way He's done it. Now, In teaching these types of things that we've taught the past two weeks, I want you to understand something. And we're fixing to get into it, okay? We're fixing to get into that. But I don't want you to view God so high that his, that, that you can't even attain any type of relationship with him because we're fixing to talk about what he's done to change some things for us. But we also must view God with reverence and respect and fear. We must fear our God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think too many times we as Christians disengage our minds from Christianity. And what, what does the Bible say? We need to think on these things, these higher things. Humans struggle against the fact that God is right because He is God. And they struggle against that. Because we have these things in our mind that this is how things should be. Well, God knows how things should be in His world. We wonder why God wouldn't just create us perfect. He didn't. Isaiah prophesies the words of God on this. And I mean, these are, these, honestly, this is just, this teaching I feel like could probably go for like weeks because I feel like it's just a drop in the bucket to the power and sovereignty of God. He says in Isaiah 45.9, this is Isaiah speaking as God's instrument, telling the people what God says. It says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. (laughs) Basically what he's saying there is like, God created you. And yet you say, why did you make me like this? Well, guess what? He's the potter. And the potter, if the potter chose, could take that clay pot and what what could he do to it? He could smash it to smithereens anytime he wanted to. Yet he made us a way, a certain way for a purpose. God's sovereignty created man with responsibility. And I was listening today, it's not actually in my notes, but I was listening today, I can't can't remember who, who it was, but they were talking about how Jesus was being crucified. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We need to understand, you know, the Bible says that God was pleased to crush him, right? Why? Because his will was being done. The redemption of the, of humanity was happening. And yet, the ones who killed him had responsibility. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have forgave them. Man has responsibility. Therefore... There's no point of contention here. It's not either God is sovereign or man has responsibility. It's God is sovereign and man has responsibility. There's no contradiction, you know, because the supreme creator willed this. He's the one who made it this way. All throughout scripture, we clearly see the conditional standing for all of creation. We see God making laws, man breaking them, and punishment poured out for that situation. Man bears responsibility as God sovereignly designs. And and that is until one point in human history. The most important moment in all of history. You see, because in Christ before before we are in Christ we have conditional standing a conditional standing that we have no leg to stand on because we can't keep the law but in Christ we now have unconditional standing how the covenant of grace in Christ We are saved by grace through faith. And that's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. We were born, however, under a covenant of works. A covenant of works that we could not keep. Under this new covenant, listen to this. Christ is responsible. Through his work, we can have his righteousness. You see that, right? So what does this actually look like? How is, how is the sovereign plan carried out? Because it's very specific. Had to happen a certain way. We see it prophesied in scripture and fulfilled in Christ. Christ was incarnated in sinful flesh, yet without sin. Christ magnified the law and he made it honorable. You see, the Pharisees Some people say, well, if you think that we need to to live a life of holiness, to to try and fulfill the moral law, try, try and do the right thing, well, you're just like the Pharisees. No, we're not anything like the Pharisees. You see, this is what the Pharisees did. Tell me if this sounds familiar. The Pharisees denied what Scripture said as the rule and took their traditions and what they wrote and made it preeminent. That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Sounds like how the modern church operates. Sounds like how the modern world operates. We deny the the superiority, sufficiency of Scripture to turn to our own traditions and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things, the way we think things should be done. Yet Christ magnified the law and he made it honorable. How did he do that? By fulfilling it. He bore all of our sins in his body on the cross. The very thing that God needed to redeem us from, he took in himself. So what makes us fallen and lost and in a conditional status when we were born in sin, Christ took all of that upon himself on the cross. And he made full atonement absolutely full atonement. He endured the full wrath of God. All of it. He bore the punishment. And he died, and he was buried. Now hear hear this, hear this. Man without Christ, these things are still his responsibility. He's incarnate in sinful flesh. He tries to live by the law, but yet he can't make it honorable. He bears all of his own sins in his own body. He can never make full atonement. He will endure the full wrath of God. He will die and he will be buried and he will experience what is described in Scripture as the second death. but Christ. Christ, God the Son, came and took responsibility on Himself in order to redeem His elect. So how can we gain this great gift from Him? Well, I told you guys just a few weeks ago how to do that. Romans 8.30 It says very clearly... And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus said, All that are mine will come to me. And if they come to me, I will in no way cast them out. It's the golden chain. God saves. He saves us. And in doing so, Christ assumes the responsibility that we have when we're born on this earth. And now through Christ, we have unconditional footing to stand on. Because listen, we did nothing to save ourselves And we can do nothing to lose our security in Him. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it seems like We've taken a turn towards the gospel when discussing God's sovereignty, doesn't it? It seems like we begin to see the gospel being played out as we discuss the sovereignty of God. I don't think that's a happy accident. That is the great link. Because... God sovereignly made the plan to save us. Therefore, the gospel is God's sovereign story of our salvation. It's the proof that God is sovereign. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You see, sin is that great responsibility that we bear. And we must repent and trust in Christ to have any feet to stand on we must turn from iniquity and turn towards Christ it is perhaps the greatest display of his sovereignty is the fact that he has made a way for us to be saved through Christ Because think about it. Let's look at the story of Paul. Paul says himself, I was breathing out curses. I was going to kill Christians. And what happens? Jesus stops him in the road and saves him. What about your life? I was headed on a road to destruction. And God saved me. I was bear, I would bear the responsibility of all my sins had it not been for a sovereign God looking down at a 16-year-old young man, giving him a new heart, sending the Holy Spirit to convict him and put him at an altar where all I knew how to say was, God, I don't want to be like I was anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. And to get up and be a brand new creature is what happened. And I venture to say that many of you have had that same experience a brand new heart. And now you stand justified through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that through the echoes of eternity, God knew. that you would be born bearing the responsibility for your sins and that one day you would stand before Christ and face judgment and instead of hearing, depart from me, worker of iniquity, what are you going to hear? Father, I took responsibility for this one. This one's mine. we can trust a God on that throne. We can trust a sovereign God of our salvation. We can't trust this thing that we make God sometimes. Because no matter how we feel, the word of God tells us who our God is. And if we don't trust this, we don't know God. So I ask you, is your God on the throne? Or you need to look again at who you're serving? I pray that for all of us in this room, especially the core of our church, for all of us, that we see a God on the throne mighty and powerful to save, who before the foundation of the world had had set forth a plan to save a people for himself and redeem them from their iniquities and their responsibility for their own sins. I pray that that's who we see, a sovereign God over all things. Let's pray. Father God, we know that these can be deep things to think on. God, but we don't want to get stuck in the intellectual side of it, though that's a beautiful thing. God, we want to see the truth in this. The fact that you have saved us, the fact that the gospel is true, that Christ is a sufficient, all-powerful, mighty Savior of this world. And that God, for those who repent and trust in him, he is their only hope. God, we thank you for all who are in Christ who may hear this message. God, that they have placed their trust only in Christ and that because of that, Christ bears the responsibility for their sins and they will stand justified before the throne. And God, right now we pray for those who haven't. God, those who, don't, who haven't trusted in Christ. God, we pray that they would be convicted to the heart, cut to the heart, and they they wouldn't be able to take another step without repenting for their sin, trusting in Christ for the remission of their sins. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Father, thank you for our people. And God, we ask that you would bless them all and let this message ring in their hearts and bring them peace and hope and trust in you.